0: Hi everyone and welcome to another Firms Consulting podcast. Up front, I will state this is one of the more interesting podcasts we've done, and you know it fits into that category of editor's choice. So let me explain to you what this podcast is about. A few months ago, we were approached by the chairman of a large technology and outsourcing company. When I say large, I mean it's a behemoth. I'm not referring to a medium-sized or second-tier company. I'm talking to about one of the global heavyweights, right? And They had a situation whereby they had made a foray into strategy, operations, uh, corporate finance consulting a few years ago to compete against McKinsey, get higher fees, and they had not actually recouped what they considered to be the right return on investment. Now I'm just going to give some high-level information so as not to identify the company, but they built their consulting capability through internal development, bringing in their own people and moving them into consulting. They had acquired a few firms uh, and they had you know, pulled all of this together to create an internal consulting capability. And what had happened is that when, when the deals first went through, the companies that they had bought had, had appeared to have a large order book. So for the first year or two years, consulting did fairly well in the organization. But then since the mid-2000 onward, The outsourcing and technology business has just taken off like a rocket ship, and the consulting business has lagged behind. In fact, it has, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It has petrified. And we were invited to examine what was happening there and advise the the chairman in terms of what he needs to do. Now, just up front, you know, firms consulting is not a consulting firm. We, we don't like these kind of assignments, and we basically did this at no cost as a courtesy to the chairman because we thought it would be interesting to do this kind of autopsy. Well, consulting is not dead, so maybe it's the wrong choice of words, but to do this kind of um, diagnosis to understand why when... You know, audit firms, or construction firms, or IT firms, or outsourcing firms try to build consulting or strategy capabilities. Why it doesn't work? You know, why why is it so hard to build a McKinsey killer? Basically, right? So, the analysis is very interesting. We did this over several months. Uh, we had the opportunity to meet the firms' clients, consulting's clients. You know, interview a, a lot of the, the people within the organization. Uh, interview. Um, um, former team members from the client side, talk to competitors, talk to prospective clients to understand what was happening. And what I'm going to talk you through here is our findings. And I think this will be very interesting for for all levels, you know, for people at Bain, McKinsey, and BCG who want to understand, get a sort of a, a, a really good understanding of why so-called competitors are failing, it's an excellent podcast, people who are within audit firms, technology firms and so on, this gives you one feeling of why these kind of marriages don't work I'm not saying it will never work, but you know you can go through the diagnosis and for those people who are working for audit firms technology firms and, and, and want to move to the consulting side, this gives you a good understanding of, of the some of the challenges you will face now uh, I would be very hesitant to draw sweeping conclusions because every organization is different and I would say many of the many if not most of the findings here would refer to a technology and outsourcing businesses which are trying to grow a um, consulting capability right i don't think it's that relevant to audit in in some regards i think it's you can't really apply these findings i'm not sure if you could apply these findings to construction companies like parsons and so on which are building consulting capability but i think you could actually do that um because when we were doing the analysis For this audit firm, we used construction companies as the control to, and we interviewed um, um, members of um, the consulting practices within construction companies. So I'll talk you through what we saw as the key issues facing this company, right? So the first thing we wanted to understand is, you know, what is the market positioning of X's consulting division? know forget before we advise them in terms of what to do, we had to know what was their current market positioning and what do they want to position themselves to be like and that gives us sort of you know in consulting speak the so called gap and we can figure out how to get them there so the bottom line is that you know despite when we arrived there, you know a lot of these uh, a lot of the consulting directors were telling us these things like you know they really respected in the market, and remember very clearly one of the um, directors I think it was in the uh, I think it must have been the New York office was telling us that in in this area of IT strategy it's only McKinsey and us that are in the market so you know a lot of um, excitement within the organization so we wanted to to understand exactly what was happening so So first finding, in terms of market positioning, we spoke to, as I mentioned, competitors, clients, previous employees, current employees, employees of competitors, employees of the main consulting firms, right? So, you know, neither the market being clients, nor competitors being McKinsey, BTO, BCG's uh, IT strategy team, Bain's IT strategy team, agreed that this client... Was anywhere close to being as strong as they thought they were or as good as they thought they were right so there was so so it's like you know being someone who thought you're really beautiful and everyone else thinks you're ugly it's a little bit like that. so people felt that this organization was not nearly as good as they thought they were, but they did feel that this organization did have certain core skills in outsourcing and i t that if they could blend it with their consulting capabilities they could be a major player that clients would want to hire right we interviewed many of their past and potential clients we interviewed um, you know the the custom service in some countries where they had worked. we interviewed the tax services where they had worked we interviewed some of the um, industry clients where they had worked uh, we interviewed their past competitors none of them actually saw them as a major consulting play in fact many of them didn't even realize that when they had bought that service from the client, they were buying it as a consulting service. To them, they just were buying an IT service, and that's how they had built it in their books as an IT service. When we went and spoke to firms like Accenture and so on, they were very surprised that this outsourcing player even had a consulting capability. It was very surprising to them. right? The brand, X, X, company X's consulting brand, they have a separate consulting brand in the market, was not known. I, you know, and, and worse than that, they had several brands for consulting, but none of them were known in the market. So, you know, there's, there's just widespread confusion between clients about what was what was the consulting unit within the client, and even if a consulting unit even existed, even within the client itself, even within this organization itself, the the engineers on the outsourcing and IT side referred to some of the work that they were doing as you know consulting, IT consulting, engineering consulting and they just felt that you know consulting was where you got and you tell a client what to do and they thought they were already doing consulting so they didn't understand why the client was building a strategy and operations consulting capability. We found that to be an, an enormous amount of confusion whereby if, they, if the IT team was speaking to a client, in fact in one example they were speaking to the French revenue service and the French revenue service had this idea of optimizing the operations, the IT team didn't go back and contact the head of consulting and said, hey, there's an I- there's an operations optimization project, why don't you bring your guys in and let's do it together. They just decided to do it by themselves. And I mean, I, we had a look at some of the work they did. It wasn't great, but we wouldn't expect them to do a good job, right? The point is that they don't even know there's this consulting unit within the organization that they can refer work to. So, very very interesting now within consulting itself i must say i was very surprised to see how little understanding there was of the competitors the positioning and the type of work and it was very interesting because that misunderstanding you could almost delineate it into two groups you had the directors and you know the senior managers of the consulting unit who have these wonderful things to say about the work they do. And then when I, when we went and spoke to some of the junior people quietly, they would say, you know what, we, we, we actually know we don't do the work McKinsey does. But, you know, we can't say anything because if we say it in front of the directors, we're not going to be paid our bonuses. So what you have is... I think the directors know they're not doing a good job, but they can't say it because if they say they're not doing a good job, management, the owners, the outsourcing, the, the board of directors who are all from the IT side of business are going to say, if you know you're not doing a bad job, then why don't you fix it? So they, the directors have to say we're doing a good job, but the junior people can't say it because they have nothing to lose, right? So that was a very interesting dichotomy whereby you actually had management on the consulting side knowing they're doing a bad job, but I think because of the way they're being measured by the board, and we'll get to that later, they're actually forced they're, they're being pigeonholed into a situation where they have to hide reality and that's a very important le- uh, lesson in that it, it's, it comes down to the way you manage your consulting arm to get them to do the right things if you mismanage them they try to become defensive and hide what they're doing but we'll talk about that later right now these guys tell me all the time you know they they, they do McKinsey kind of work but when you look at the kind of uh, fees they're billing clients I mean, you know, it's ridiculous. If they are doing strategy work, which I I know they're not doing, or proper operations work, they're certainly doing it at a steep discount. And basically, they are price takers, they are not price setters, right? So they're they're doing this really in some cases the work's pretty good, I would say. But it's 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 not strategy. It's it's mostly market analysis work. Let's put it that way. It's market analysis, market entry sizing. It's basically market sizing work that they're doing. And it's very lowly priced. I mean, the fees that we're looking at is tiny. I mean, I've, I remember being told a lot of times that, you know, we compete against McKinsey. But you're not competing against McKinsey when you're giving someone a Fiat when they wanted to buy a Lamborghini, right? That's not the same thing. You've got you to gotta put a, a Lamborghini equivalent on the table. So the, the reason why this is a problem is that if you're if you accepting low fees, you can never pay the salaries you need to attract the right kind of people. So you create this virtuous circle where you constantly dig a deeper hole for yourself, right? Now, the interesting thing is that despite all the problems they had um, – a lot of competitors felt that this IT company outslash outsourcer could be a serious player in the market, but they felt that they had squandered their consulting acquisitions a few years ago, and it would, if because of the unique uh, skills they had in IT, if they were willing to make the investment, they could be a serious player, right? So, I think that was one of the findings about market positioning. Now, let's talk about, you know, differentiating management consulting From rivals now, the way this company at at pitched itself when it goes into clients is it says that look, we have these amazing outsourcing and IT skills. If you merge it with our consulting capability, we have this ability to do um, operations and you know nuts and bolts it work better than anyone else in the world not only do we have technical people that can tell you everything you need to know about your it operations but we have the consultants who can help you cost it develop business cases and basically build the rationale for making change which is not a bad idea i mean that makes a lot of sense right i don't think you should knock that but how is that different from what Accenture does? How is that different from what IBM does? How is that different from what Deloitte um, um, uh, IT strategy does? How is that di- different from what Ernest & Young does? So that's the point. The client was so excited about this you know, synergy that they saw between consulting and IT, and, and forget about the fact that they're not executing it correctly. They never really considered that they were not doing anything different from what their competitors were doing, right? So... The, this point of differentiation, this easy access and deployment of technical IT skills was, became their point of difference not because they did a lot of analysis to come up with this answer, but because they had technical skills, they had consultants, let this just merge them together and create a value proposition. But no one had really thought about whether clients valued this, firstly, and secondly, whether they could do it better than Deloitte and Accenture, right? Now the key thing here is that access to these IT skills, merged with consulting, you know, does not guarantee a consulting product project which produces a superior recommendation to clients, right? Clients you know, basically measure the value of management consulting advice based on the quality of the initial diagnostic results, the final report, the, fi- the value of the discussions held, the ability to implement the recommendations, and the sustainability of those recommendations. Right? That's how you measure consulting work. Right? But just because you say you have the skills, just because you have the skills, doesn't mean you can actually make it work on the ground. That's where they were failing. They had these skills, but they couldn't actually make it work. It's like having a... An, an amazing football team, and I mean football, I mean European football, right, soccer. You've got these, these star players, but they just can't win games. And that's a little bit like what was happening with this client. Now, I'm not saying the consulting skills were star players. I don't think they were that strong, but they were not that weak. And the issue here was that because of a lack of respect between consulting, which I think kind of wasn't willing to to take the time to educate the IT slash engineering side, and the fact that IT slash engineering had the power to do whatever they want, they were not actually creating synergy. IT would go in and say, hey, consulting, do you want to join us in this? Consulting, because they were being measured on billable revenue, didn't want to fight against IT, just sent some warm bodies in and ended up doing IT work. So you had a unit called IT uh, consulting, which ended up doing a lot of IT-related work, right? So the potential for differentiation, but... It wasn't happening, right? Now let's look at at sort of the market focus here, yeah, right? Because that's very important. Now, where where is this team focused? now? Consulting was predominantly focused where IT was focused now, and there is a reason for that because consulting didn't have any senior level relationships. I mean, they had none. You know, I remember sitting with the directors and asking them, okay, so who, which clients do you have a relationship with? And, you know, and they would go into a long story about how much work they saw. I so, said, look, I'm not. I'm not interested in the amount of work you sold. That's a separate discussion. I'm sure it's, it's amazing and we can talk about that later. But we're going to get to that in a few minutes. Talk to me about the relationships you have and how you build relationships. And the interesting thing is they have no real relationships. You know, They, they wait for IT to sell a big ERP project. Then within the ERP project, there's got to be a unit, there's got to be a piece of work where you have to do the business case and then consulting does that. So it's almost the, the flip of the model whereby consulting should have the senior relationships and help IT understand the broader strategy issues around technology, it's flipped, whereby IT has the big relationships and IT is not interested in what consulting has to say, but IT is just telling consulting, hey, you know what, we can charge our client 10% more if we tell them we've got consultants on the project, why don't you put a few consultants in? So it's a very horrible way to manage things, right? And the way we analyze um, you know, cons- uh, the market is we split it along three dimensions. Firstly, what sectors do you cover? What kind of functional consulting skills do you have? So you know, do you have strategy skills, operation skills, IT strategy skills, um, marketing skills, social sector skills? Uh, sorry, social sector is a sector. Functional skills refers to things that cut across sectors, and then we looked at geographic coverage. You know, which parts of the world were you operating in? Now, in terms of sectors, there was n- there were they were the consulting. Here was defined by sectors because. The business units were on the i t side were arranged by sectors now i 'm not saying uh, being arranged by sectors is a good or a bad thing I actually don't know personally it can work and I saw it working right but there is one really big problem here what would happen is that where because Consulting knew that they had to please the IT side to be given you know, pieces of food to feed themselves through billable work. They knew that they had to hire people that pleased IT. And because IT was organized by sector, what consulting used to do is they would hire people that had deep sector knowledge but were weak on consulting and they would then go up to the IT guys and say, hey, you know what, I heard you just sold a really big project to help, I don't know, uh, some FMCG company roll out a new ARP system. We've just hired a guy who has a strong background in FMCG. Why don't you put him onto the consulting side of the business? But the guy has no consulting skills. He's got no real consulting skills, and worse than that, how is he going to learn to do consulting skills when he's not being put onto a consulting project? Right. So, So the sector focus, while being arranged by sectors is not a problem, Hiring people because of their sector knowledge was a problem, right? Now, let's look at functional skills, right? We found very weak functional skills in this organization. And they've always talked about strategy and operations, but when you sit down with each person one by one and go through the projects they've done, because that determines their skill set, what we found is that no experts in any particular sector. They knew they've they've worked in sectors before, but they didn't they didn't have the ability to to critically analyze an issue in a sector. So if if they only did supply chain work in FMCG, they could only advise in supply chain in in, in FMCG. If you give them a strategy problem, they weren't trained to break it down. Right. More than that, I think the the most of the people here knew how to do market assessments. I mean, they were very good at analyzing a market and breaking it down into market sizes and so on. Really good at doing feasibility studies. I mean that was their, you know, bread and butter. They would work with the IT guys and work out the feasibility of rolling out an IT project. And they were very good at doing business reviews. So a client would come along and say, okay, we want to roll out this kind of IT investment. Can you review the different options for us and give us an, an understanding? They were very good at that, right? But that's about all they did, right? Um they didn't do much else. A lot of their work, I would say, 50% of the work was working with IT to roll out IT stuff and just maybe doing some number crunching. In fact, these were glorified Excel, you know, Excel spreadsheet developers. That's what they were doing. They were building models, and they would call it consulting now there's nothing wrong with that I actually I'm not knocking the guys who are doing their work I think they did pretty good work there but what I am saying is that that is not why uh, the chairman made the decision to buy and build up consulting 10 years ago right he wanted consulting to play a much more uh, pivotal role in positioning the company for work right and strategy related projects were they doing any strategy related projects well to be fair, They they did one or two big strategy related projects, but mainly because the companies they bought had them already on the books, and they managed to win a few. But that was like seven years ago. They haven't done any. I'm talking about corporate strategy, business unit strategy. In that time, the the basically what they do a lot of now is market entry market attractiveness analysis. And a ton of that because well, they have all the data, they know exactly the different systems and so on used so they can, you know, if a client wants to know, well we want to roll out smart grids across Arizona, help us analyze the market, they will go in there and they'll you know be like you know pigs in the mud analyzing the data, right? Uh, let's look at geographic coverage. Geographic coverage was really weak. We found that, you know, consulting was really very strong in three offices and pretty much non-existent. It was so bad that in some offices you'd only have three or four people called consulting, and they'd be sitting in this little corner office. No one would talk to them, and they'd just be doing work, you know. And you know, there's no leader in consulting. we're talking about some big markets, right? Like Germany didn't have a consulting leader; it had four consultants. Um, Russia didn't have a consulting leader, Brazil didn't have a consulting leader uh, the Middle East didn't have a consulting leader although they had big um, um, uh, they had a big footprint in those regions and they had consulting staff the the staff were, were classified as consulting, they were hired to do consulting seven years ago but over the last few years they were just supporting the engineering teams, IT teams, outsourcing teams doing outsourcing work So. In all intents and purposes, consulting only existed in three offices. And even in, within those three offices, they were highly, highly isolated, right? And they were being left behind, you know, because what had happened is that a few of these, you know, teams, those three offices, they're sort of congregated together and they decide to protect themselves at the expense of other regions. So, for example, what would happen is because these three regions had a powerful consulting presence. When the chairman's office and the business units wanted to do anything with consulting, they'd go to these three offices and say, "Okay, we want to do this. We want to invest some money in training and development." But what these three offices would do is, because these three offices came from one particular firm via the acquisition, and the other offices came from other firms, they wouldn't trust the other offices in consulting. So they'd ignore the Middle Eastern office in consulting. They would take all of the money for just those three offices and spend it on themselves, and they would ignore the Middle Eastern office. They weren't sharing any information. They had never had a consulting meeting in seven years. I mean, seven years and they had not had a get-together, no strategy discussion. In fact, because everyone is so terrified of being shut down one day, every time they would bring them together to have a discussion, people spend tons of time defending their work and talking about what a good job they are doing rather than, you know, laying the facts on the table and saying, you know, consulting is not working. How do we make it work? So, a lot of problems, right? In terms of client mix, I would think that 90% of the work was feasibility studies, um, business cases for ERP implementations, business cases for outsourcing. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I, but I do feel that um, it's too dependent on the IT side of the business and that could disappear at any point, right? The second one is that, interestingly enough, a lot of the the capabilities purchased many years ago were around, I would say, business unit strategy work and a lot of people had left, but also the people who had stayed, be, who had stayed behind who had those skills hadn't done the, that kind of work in four or five years. So more or less they had forgotten those skills. right? Now let's talk about the view of the of the business units or the view of the business divisions of the clients. What, how did they view the consulting arm? Most business units were deeply, I think, frustrated that consulting was not doing what they said it would do. Now, remember, when the consulting purchase went through many years ago, or, or many purchases, there was more than one firm bought, it was sold on the idea that to do, to, to differentiate on our, ourselves from everyone else in this field, we have to do what Accenture had done, but actually make it work, Right? I am came out wrong. I'm not saying Accenture doesn't make it work. I'm saying, you know, the old Anderson consulting wasn't able to keep the the IT consulting division within and it spun out and Accenture is a very good business model. So they wanted to do something like that, but the feeling was that consulting was becoming less and less and less important to the business until, you know, at this point, consulting doesn't even sit in on management meetings. It doesn't have a representative on the board. It's not even a business unit. It has some weird structure whereby, if you look at the organizational structure of this company, it's not a business unit, it doesn't have business unit representation. Consulting to me is like a little dog you've got at a a kitchen table. Everyone's having dinner, it doesn't have its own place to sit and if you looked at it, you feel sorry for it, you give it some work to do. That's really how consulting was structured. So you've got about 300 people which are being treated pretty badly in that organization. right? the business unit leaders we spoke to and i think there were nine of them only two of them i think truly supported consulting the others all said that they supported consulting because i think it's the politically correct thing to say and they didn't want to upset the chairman but they didn't really like consulting they cut it off and didn't want anything to do with it right but even for the ones who supported it they had no idea what consulting was doing i mean they couldn't even name a project where consulting had added any value they couldn't even refer to a standalone consulting project. All of them referred to this project that was done in 2007-2008 where consulting had won this pretty substantial, you know, strategy engagement or something like that. But that was it. So for five to six years, nothing of merit, right? Value of consulting wasn't clear. um, And there there was a big confusion that, you know, why does consulting need to exist if the IT guys and engineers could do the work consulting was doing right so, so the view of the business unit was not kind to consulting let's look at the business model yeah right consulting's business model existed on the on the concept of leveraging the IT skills into business knowledge to produce this hybrid that mckinsey didn't have now first thing is that it was not clear at the beginning, that consulting did this in a way that adds more value to clients than than Deloitte does or Accenture. And after spending time with them, we're pretty sure they don't had the idea makes sense, but they weren't doing it in the right way. Right? We also realized that leveraging this technical IT skills was a really big differentiator for feasibility studies. But for the life of us, we couldn't see how it's going to help with corporate strategy and other areas of management consulting like operations strategy. So I agree, and feasibility studies, if it's done correctly, it could be a big differentiator. But feasibility studies is, is a small area, right? And secondly, it is a major. Dif- it could be a major differentiator in, in two areas where consulting does actually very little work. So consulting was not doing a lot of feasibility studies. And if you look at their model in terms in terms of the sense that they're trying to leverage their technical IT skills, that's where they should be doing the most of the work. But but they actually weren't doing that. So consulting was trying to do a lot of market entry analysis and so on. Which is good. They were doing interesting work there, and they were good at analyzing markets. But this whole opportunity to develop a more nuts and bolts versions of operations consulting, they were kind of letting that ship sail. It was a pretty big ship, right? It's like it's like the Titanic coming past the harbor and no one noticing it's there. So for us, it was kind of weird that you have all these great engineers, but and and IT guys, you could do this really amazing operations work. But you don't want to work with them, you don't know how to leverage it, and you're going ahead and trying to size the market for servers in India because you're trying to help a client determine if they should enter that market. It doesn't make any sense to us. So we, The idea of building a corporate strategy killer to take on McKinsey was, by this point, out of the question for us. Because they couldn't do it. And it would be very hard for the chairman to go out and justify another round of major and expensive acquisitions when the previous ones had failed, especially when the client hadn't figured out how to get the business divisions and consulting to work together. But the idea of building the super duper operations team made a lot of sense, right? So the business model needed, um, you know, I think, some substantial changes. Now, this idea of this phenomenal operations consulting capability had significant upside, right? So this this concept of synergy was critical, right? In our mind, there must be a reason for management consulting to existing client X. There must be a reason. Otherwise, why can't a client just hire McKinsey and a technology firm and get them to work together to create the synergy on site? So, the client had to show that by them keeping the skills in house they could do more than mckinsey partnering with a technology firm to do the same thing at a client site right and that's just a, a really important point that we want to drive home you have to show you can do it better than standalone teams working together right you ha- the, the client had to clearly indicate why management consulting creates more value by residing within the client than as a standalone business in the market right And I don't think they were doing that because no one had actually spent enough time with the IT guys to understand how IT was advising on operations and how they could beef up that capability. So, you know, was consulting leveraging the IT skills in the best possible manner? Hell no. They didn't even know some of the things and uh, that IT was doing. And I think IT was doing some pretty interesting stuff. I mean, you know, we visited one center, the country center remained unnamed, where these guys were helping the Ministry of Defense determine in what sequence the nuclear missiles would be launched if, you know, Russia or China ever decided to get greedy and go after them. I mean that's a, uh, you know that is that is impressive stuff, right? You know, when you have to go through a background check to visit the client, you know you're doing impressive stuff. But the consulting team didn't know anything about it they didn't even they hadn't even spoken to the directors running the projects, they didn't even realize that Ernest and Young was right there doing the operations work and I don't know much about what Ernest and Young was doing, but i had a f- I spoke to a few people and, and you know it seemed like process related stuff but why couldn't consulting be doing a better version of that by li- by pulling in the technical skills? It just baffled me right now. A lot of the problems that consulting was facing stems through an evolution of events. And, and it's important you understand this evolution of events. When consulting came in through this set of acquisitions, I think they were very arrogant. Uh, the feeling was that when consulting sold this project in 2008, the one in 2007, the one in 2006, they acted like they didn't need any help from the you know, engineers. And they, and they treated the engineers and the IT guys pretty badly. And the IT guys started hating them. When consulting started going through a dry spell in mid 2008, two things happened. The consultants were so proud that they wouldn't go, they they had not bothered to build a relationship with IT. And now, when they tried to build a relationship with IT, they didn't have a basis to do that and they basically gave up on that, right? So, what happened is that consulting became smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. At one point, I don't want to give away the numbers here, but consulting. Was, n- was a significant contributor to profits. I mean significant, materially Im- so important that consulting had a voice in the board of directors. Over time, consulting had shrunk to a way that it was contributing less than 5% of revenue. I mean that is like nothing. Right? It's a rounding error. And because consulting was becoming smaller and smaller and they didn't know how to get out of the trap, they became firstly defensive. And secondly, they just threw up the ads and said, okay, to survive, we just have to do whatever IT tells us and we'll do it. The other thing they allowed themselves to do is to be measured on the wrong metrics. So what was happening is consulting was being measured on billable hours. Now, you can't measure consulting on billable hours. It doesn't make any sense, right? It, I don't understand how you could do that. So what had happened is that when consulting was not billing any revenue, rather than investing that time to build IP that they could take to the market, they threw up their hands and said, we can't do this, let's just get billable revenue. So they, billable revenue is like a drug. It's, it, once you take it the first time, it solves your problem in the short term, but you get hooked on it forever. You then start getting measured on billable hours. And then they started getting measured on billable hours, and they had to post billable hours of 70 to 80%. And because they had to post billable hours of 70 to 80%, that unique intellectual property that they needed to develop to take to clients to sell this very complex operations consulting work, they didn't have the time to do it. And because they didn't have the time to do it, they could never win work of high enough margins that afforded them the room to have lower billable hours. So they just got sucked into billable hours. Billable hours is the cocaine of management consulting. As soon as you get sucked into billable hours, that's it. You are finished, right? You're going to have a deviated septum, you're going to be in corridors and toilets doing all kinds of things. The point is, you never get sucked into that trap. And, and that's what happened to consulting. Come 2008, they weren't winning work. They weren't willing to fight the board of directors. They said, "Okay, we'll go on to billable hours," and they could they never escape the billable hours trap. Do not take the cocaine of management consulting. It, it will wreck you forever, right? And the good news is that the I think the chairman, when we left, we, we are not consultants, so we did this for, as a favor to the chairman. I think he was going to push to have consulting taken off the billable hour treadmill, shrunk in size, and focused onto operations consulting. I don't know if they'll do that. You know, we've We've only given them our findings a few weeks ago, but it's interesting to see what they'll do. In terms of operating model, which is the eighth area we looked at, I mean they had no operating model. They had no business guidelines, no themes they were pushing. You know, the offices did whatever they wanted, as I mentioned. Um, and they took you know conflicting decisions. I mean, we we counted seven brands for consulting. You know, you look at the different documents, they all have their own brands, right? No one was making decisions for consulting. You know, you'd get these three offices, get together, they'll make decisions and they'll call it a decision for consulting and they'll ignore the 13 other offices where consulting had a presence which is kind of bizarre there was no best practice there was no training right no themes that were being pushed into in consulting there was no consulting way there was no one firm philosophy there was you know, massive silos, no sharing. I mean, absolutely no sharing. You'd have one office, which had heard that another office had done some work. They'd want access to, to at Least speak to some of the people. Office B would contact office A. Office say no, we don't want to share it with you. We'd ask office A why why you didn't want to do it because we don't trust them. Then office A would say we'd only do the, we'd only help you if we can engage the client, introduce us to the client, and just leave us alone. So they were operating like separate firms, right? And it was becoming a bit of a problem at that point. Culture and values. Well, I suppose by everything I've told you now, you know the culture is pretty short in this firm. You know, you're treating your own colleagues like they're foreign, you know, entities. I, I think that everyone we spoke to was very, very consistent in saying they want to do fact-driven work. They want, to, they want to do things that count. But saying you want to do things that count doesn't mean that you are doing what is required to get there and doesn't mean that you can't even get there, right? So, we found that for many people, fact-driven work and strategy meant feasibility studies and market entry analysis or market sizing studies. Scarily, there was no embedded problem-solving process. You know, they'd hire these people, throw them into the market, into clients, and hopefully, and hope that the work they had learned in the previous firm where they had worked before they joined this client was gonna teach them what to do on site, right? And it wasn't working very well, so what you'd end up doing is that, you know, there was this myriad of styles and cultures that were taking place. Now, you hired someone from PwC, they would do projects very differently if you hired someone from, I think, Deloitte, for example. But there was no one way of doing things. And, you know, there was. I think just this, this about everyone below the level of senior manager told us that offices don't share, there's no willingness to learn, the directors are not willing to change things. Uh, you have to get rid of the director level or at least get them to change, right? Um, They felt there was no energy in the leadership team, which is true. I mean, I sat down with some of those people and I wanted to kill myself because they were just so boring. It's like they were so proud of the fact that, I don't know, they were helping someone do the feasibility study to work out how many servers to buy in Russia or something, that they weren't even looking at the big picture, like why were you buying the servers? Before you go out and size the market? You know, should you be doing this? So all these questions were taking place, right? And there was widely differing opinions. Now, one of the things I heard a lot about is that the client doesn't have a strategy. When I say the client, what I mean is that the consulting team doesn't have a strategy. Now you shouldn't have a strategy as a consulting firm. I know it sounds bizarre, but McKinsey and BCG don't have strategies. They don't get up in the morning and say our strategy is to do this. No. Your stra- a strategy of an elite consulting firm is to serve the clients to your best of your ability and you do whatever it takes to get there. So this client was obsessed about having a strategy when they should have been more obsessed about serving clients to the best of their abilities where they had an unusual competitive advantage, right? And it's one of the things that I stress very clearly with the chairman is that forget about having a strategy for for consulting. Uh, All you need to know is that consulting needs to change the model and needs to be focused on the front end of the relationship Doing this very complex operations strategy work and operations implementation work, but that's about it. You know, your strategy is is not. There's nothing else to it. That's your strategy. Just go ahead and do it. Now it's all about the execution, right? The other thing we focused on was um, was structure of the organization. You know, as I mentioned before, all of the offices were different. They pretty much existed in name only, but they were IT people. The IP for the organization sat in maybe one or two offices, never shared. Um, In some ways, this was an organization that was beaten down over many years, and they just weren't willing to fight back, right? Skill set, uh, you know, I think we've spoken about skill set. The other area we looked at is that, over time the consultants had lost their consulting skill set and create and had this derivative of wholly technical with a with a flavor of consulting. It's like imagine you buy a chicken, you boil it in the water, and you put a little bit of salt and you call it curry. That's not Indian curry, you know, it's gotta have a whole lot of other things. So over a lot of time a lot of this, the consultants had sort of replaced their core skill set with technical skill sets and they didn't even realize this. But I think the you know, credit to this organization is that their young consultants were pretty good. They, they, they knew what was happening, they knew the problems, they were able to shake, they just weren't sure how to fix it. right? But they knew what the problems were, they knew that fresh blood was needed, they needed to change things, the bullibility problem had to change and so on. Core systems and processes. I mean, we did look at the core systems and values. The values was weak, in my opinion. They didn't really have consulting values. You know, I always look at a document a a firm produced. Do all the proposals look the same? Do all of the engagement documents look the same? Do all of the memos look the same? That was not there. You know, this looked like um, an explosion went off in a paint factory, in my opinion, right? They all looked differently. And each of the officers was very proud of the branding they created and they were unwilling to change it. So you'd have a situation where two officers worked together, which was rare. They would be using two separate logos and so on to present to the same client, which is kind of funny, right? I think performance management was badly managed in this organization. And I think that's why the junior people were so unhappy in the sense that they were not given proper performance reviews, they were not given very carefully constructed feedback in terms of how to improve. A lot of side deals were being made as well. You know, when I looked at that salary schedule, I was pretty shocked to see the ranges that you'd have someone who was a manager earning what a consultant was earning. So somehow they made the deal with him to promote him to make him happy, but they couldn't pay him the amount they wanted. In another case, you'd have a consultant earning what a manager should be earning because they brought this person in from McKinsey and company. Um, They couldn't make them a manager because no one would accept that, and they couldn't pay them too little because why would the person come from McKinsey, so they pay them a lot and give them the wrong title, and there's all these kind of deals which just create a poison. I mean, that that for me was the most scary thing when I looked at it, and I said, you you can't have this. You've got to fix this, right?" And, and I'm not sure if they'll do it. I think it's hard to do it. It's going to take a lot of pain, but you have to do it because people talk. People know what salaries are. They know what titles are, and it just creates a horrible team environment. Cutting side deals are never recommended. Recruiting was a little bit of a joke. I sat in one of the recruiting sessions and I was, you know, I I felt that there was a there was a lot of this company selling itself as opposed to trying to test the person's skill. You know, they'd bring in someone from Bain and they'd say, Oh, it's a Bain person, let's hide them. But and I said, But hold on a second. How do you know this is a good person? This person could have been bad when they joined Bain. That's why they left Bain. You've got to test these people and i mean obviously i couldn't tell that to the people but that was my feedback to the chairman i so said recruiting was a little bit of a joke uh, i felt that the directors were building fiefdoms and hiring people that they felt would support them as opposed to people that would actually do good work succession planning and training and development was not even there i mean the directors had their favorites which they took on to all meetings and so on and it had nothing to do with you know capability you know i remember asking the directors for the names of their top people and their weak people and, I, and I spent quite a lot of time with them and I couldn't really figure out who was, who, why the good people were good and why the bad people were bad. To me, it seemed like personality issues. I feel the people that were, that were listed as being bad just didn't agree with the directors and they were put into this no man's land. I felt that even for the guys who were singled out as the high performance, they weren't being trained and developed they were being developed to constantly pander to the director so that they'd always want to support the director. But they weren't being trained to replace the director. So they were being trained to be promoted because the director knew that they need some senior people to put on the projects. And if they didn't have a senior person to put on the project, they couldn't deliver they'd have to deliver the projects themselves. So they were developing these people so they could so the director could do a lot less work than needed. But they were doing it for that single purpose as a director you're you, you're grooming someone to replace you but I didn't feel that was happening toolkits you know structures ways of thinking no they were not being institutionalized knowledge was not being captured incentive model was a little bit of a joke I talked to you about the um, uh, performance reviews how performance was allocated so there was no incentive model yeah you weren't being incentivized to do a good job and, and i and i I think that has a lot to do with the parent company yeah the parent company was treating them like um you know the i t side of the business, which to be fair, consulting hadn't delivered so you can understand a little bit of that, but I felt that the performance metrics were wrong billable hours should not have been used uh, a different model should be used, and you know consulting was complaining and saying but but you know if, if you take us off billable hours um well consulting was complaining that they should be taking off billable hours and my feedback was yes take consulting of billable hours but you gotta remove parts of consulting that couldn't do consulting work because a lot of them couldn't do consulting work right and then finally you know, branding is something you have to look at no brand, I found seven different brands All, some of them use used at the same client, absolute confusion clients and competitors cannot differentiate the brand um, no marketing activity I'm saying marketing I don't mean advertising I mean being at universities I mean sponsoring major events like the World Trade Organization forums and so on um, you know the IMF forums um, Davos and so on they weren't involved in any of these things and where they were involved I think it was it, they were trying to do advertising as opposed to marketing now a lot of people listening to this podcast you're going to sh- be shaking your head and telling me Michael that's exactly what's happening at my organization and I can tell you that the findings here are not atypical. One of the reasons we decided to do this is I always tell the senior partners of firms consulting is that we left consulting four to five years ago, some of them left six years ago, and obviously we were very senior, but that doesn't mean we must stay away from consulting. We must be involved in, in advising consulting firms even if we do it without a fee structure because it's not our core business and we must be leading projects. We lead projects through the books that we sell because we lead an actual project and we write it up as a book so that way we never lose sight of our consulting skills. And secondly, we must never lose sight of the difficulties of building a top-notch firm. And the challenges faced here, and I've obviously given you a summary of this, are the exact same challenges faced right now by IT firms trying to build a consulting capability, by audit firms trying to build a consulting capability, by engineering firms trying to build a consulting capability, by banks trying to build a consulting capability. The issues are not unusual, but the solution will be different for every single client. And it'll be very interesting to hear what you know clients have to say about this because I'm sure that is going to resonate with many people.